Abrams and while Selena won't be joining us this month she's writing at the moment you will have a pre-recorded show put together by myself and the wonderful Matt Abbott. From Matt we are going to have an interview with himself and Stephen James Smith, Matt's usual poetry roundup and a little bit of insight into Matt and Selena and the work that they do together. I will be speaking to Amal Khalif and Rory Pilgrim. 
uh, Amal is the curator of, and Rory is one of the artists in the new show that's just opened at the Serpentine Gallery in London called Radio Ballads. The show is part of Newtown Culture, which is taking place in the London borough of Barking and Dagenham. It was a programme delivering workshops, exhibitions, radio broadcasts, performance and courses targeted at people using social care in the borough. The artists that worked on the exhibition worked with people living in Barking and Dagenham and drew stories out of these workshops and created artworks using them, giving these people voice. This practice is based on an, a project from which started in the 50s called Radio Ballads, which was broadcast on the BBC and was produced by musicians Ewan McCall and Peggy Seeger who used kind of reportage, um, almost a kind of early form of gonzo journalism and folk music to tell the stories of working people at the time and to present voices that were not then being heard in the mainstream. This exhibition takes those intentions and places them in contemporary art and contemporary life. Um, the show is very beautifully put together and the works address things like asbestos poisoning, domestic abuse, social care for social care workers and Rory Pilgrim's work, we'll be hearing from Rory later in the show, explores connections between work, mental health, home, care in a time of crisis and the ongoing recovery needed, the work is called Rafts. And we'll be hearing more from Amal and from Rory later in the show. But next up, we have the Beatles with Strawberry Fields Forever. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields. Forever 
But you know I know and it's a dream I think I know, I mean, uh, yes, but it's all wrong That is, I think I disagree Let me take you down Cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields Nothing is real Nothing to get hung about Strawberry Fields forever Strawberry Fields forever Strawberry Fields forever You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. You can find us online on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. It's at Roaring Twenties Radio and the Twenties is 20S. You can also find previous episodes wherever you usually listen to podcasts and on our anchor.fm site. So this is my roundup from the world of spoken word poetry and I'm going to start off with events. Up first is Jawdance, which is produced by Apples and Snakes. This month's event is on Wednesday the 20th. It's at Rich Mix in Shoreditch. Tickets are available and it's uh, pay as you feel, so they start at as little as £2. And this month's special guests are Bayerga Odabanjo, Jake Wild Hall, and Reese Lyons. So, as usual, a superb lineup for Jordans. It is one of the best spoken word nights, not only in the capital, but in the country. On the following night, on Thursday the 21st of April, it's the Outspoken Prize for Poetry Award Ceremony. So it's not your standard Outspoken night, it's even fancier, it's even more exciting. It's at the Purcell Room in the Queen Elizabeth Hall of the South Bank Centre. Tickets are available for £10. Judges include Hannah Lowe, Yomi Sode, Sean Hewitt, Nikita Gill and Martha Sprackland. And a little birdie tells me that Maria Ferguson is on the shortlist for Paige. So I'm very, very, very excited about that. So that's Thursday the 21st of April, that's the Outspoken Prize for Poetry Award Ceremony. On Tuesday the 26th of April, Molly Naylor is launching her new collection, Whatever You've Got, at the Betsy Trotwood in Farrington, which is a fantastic poetry pub. I think, to be honest, that's the best poetry venue in the country. I absolutely love poetry at the Betsy. So you can get your tickets for £10 or £7 concession. Performances on the night include Jessica Fosticue, Grace Petrie, Ben Moss and Arjun Manuel Pillai, and of course Molly Naylor. Uh, so check that out, that's Tuesday the 26th of April. On Thursday the 12th of May, Bad Betty launched their new live series. So Bad Betty are going on tour this year um, all around the country. And this is the launch. It's at St John the Baptist Church in Hoxton. Uh, you can get early bird tickets for £7.50. They're probably going to sell out soon. General tickets are £10 and it's worth every penny. Performers include Caroline Bird, Anthony Joseph, Jess Moraine, Christopher Lanyon, plus some live music as well. So make sure you check that out. We love everything that Bad Betty do. 
On Wednesday the 18th of May, Stephen James Smith and Friends. So Stephen James Smith is the artist that I've just signed to Nims and Thugs. He is touring with the composer Gareth Quinn Redmond, as well as some live illustration. And he'll have support on the night from Saoirse Anton. It's of a London Irish Centre in Camden. Tickets cost £15. That's on Wednesday the 18th of May. Starting very soon is The Last Word 2022. So The Last Word is a festival that takes place at the Roundhouse in Camden. They have all kinds of uh, panel events, workshops, theatre performances. They have the iconic Poetry Slam. They've, this year they've got events from Kareem Parkins Brown, One Extra, the Poetry Salon with Apples and Snakes and Bloomsbury, the Diaspora Dialogues, Abina Essa and loads more. So make sure you check that out on the Roundhouse website. This year's Last Word Festival is from the 3rd of May until the 10th of July and tickets are on sale now. And I just want to shout out my two Leeds events in case we have any Northern listeners. Thursday the 14th of April, our second instalment of Tub Thumping at the Constitutional in Farsley. We have Vanessa Casuli and Tori Agarba plus the showcase section. Tickets are available for £10. And then on Thursday the 28th of April, Chelping at the Leeds Library. This month we have Casey Bailey and Ella Otomiwo plus Open Mic and tickets are available for £5. So my roundup of content, I've got a couple of podcasts to begin with. So first up, I'd like to shout out the Slowdown podcast. So this is produced in partnership with the Poetry Foundation. It's currently hosted by Ada Limon. And these are mini, like five minute episodes, which arrive every weekday. So it's absolutely perfect for your poetry fix without you having to commit to a full hour every day. Uh, Just a little boost to keep you going. It used to be hosted by Tracy K. Smith and it's just a real joy. As I say, the five minute episodes, so you can't go wrong. That is called The Slowdown. You should be able to find it wherever you usually listen to podcasts. Another podcast I want to shout out is Poetry Off The Shelf. So this is produced and hosted by Helena de Groot on behalf of Paris Review. It's a mixture of the usual reviews and interviews alongside poetry documentaries, as well as more abstract conversations around the poems that people love and how and why they love them. For example, um, have you ever listened to a poetry that you could feel, that you could touch, for example? So that's really great. That's called the Poetry Off the Shelf podcast. On the NPR website, there's an audio interview with Ocean Vuong. Uh, That was published on the 5th of April, so you can find it on the NPR website, npr.org. Um, Ocean's new collection explores his mother's death from breast cancer and the aftershock of grief that followed. It's a 37 minute interview and it delves into that and it's as powerful and as moving as you'd expect. There's also a transcript on the NPR website if you want to follow it with the transcript, uh, which is a great idea, of course. In The Guardian on the 13th of March, uh, Mustafa Rashwini uh, produced an in-depth review of a Bankstown poetry slam in Australia. So it's a really fascinating insight into the electric atmosphere that you find at slams, how they can be so transformative for young poets and how they can also transform audience members' perceptions of poetry. They can enable young and or marginalised poets to feel a sense of belonging in what's often perceived as an elitist art form. And I just love this insight into that particular slam, uh, the Bankstown poetry slam in Australia. So that was in The Guardian on the 13th of March. And then finally, there's a new educational app called Afri Poetry. So that's A-F-R-I-P-O-E-T-R-E-E, Afri Poetry. Uh, You can find them on the socials and they also have a website and a crowdfunder campaign, which is live at the moment. And their platform will enable people to explore and learn about poets of African descent by reading their work, uh, listening to recordings and watching videos as well. So make sure you check out the Afri Poetry. Right, finally, I'm going to look at new releases. So I've mentioned it already, but I'm going to mention it again. Stephen James Smith, his long-awaited debut album was released by my label Nymphs and Thugs on the 1st of April. 
Uh, he is an Irish poet. He's collaborated with composer and producer Gareth Quinn Redmond to record this album in lockdown. Stephen is well known in Ireland for a series of viral poems. Uh, he's featured on TV over there and his poems have amassed millions of views. And his reputation is rapidly growing here in the UK. Uh, the digital version is out now via Nymphs and Thugs and he's going on tour this month and next month. So check out stephenjamesmith.com uh, and look at the events and the album on there. It is a beautiful album. Maz Hedgehog, The Body in Its Seasons, that is being published by Burning Eye Books on the 13th of April. The Body in Its Seasons is a journal of protagonist Maddie's obsession, compiled in footnotes, conversations and diary entries. Maz Hedgehog unpicks the fabric of the poetry collection and reweaves them into a new tapestry of the experiential and lyrical. So that is from Maz Hedgehog on the 13th of April. On the 14th of April, uh, Kaylee Campbell with Matryoshka on Verve Poetry Press. Matryoshka represents the feminist notion that females are human beings with agency, a mixture of confessional and imagined writing. It is haunting and melancholic, unsettling and dark, but there are also pockets of comedy and relief. An unpredictable trail through the enchanting forest of the female. So that is being published by Verve Poetry Press on the 14th of April. Also on the 14th of April is... Unhistory. This is being published by PayPal Tree Press. So Unhistory is a unique presentation of four collections of poems in one binding. Codicil to History, Coda to History, Footnotes to History and Index to History. And this is the fifth collection of poems written in dialogue by Kwame Dawes and John Kinsella. So that's Unhistory on PayPal Tree Press on the 14th of April. And then finally, I mentioned this in the events roundup, but I want to give it another shout out. Molly Naylor's new collection, Whatever You've Got, which is being published by Bad Betty Press on the 28th of April. So whatever you've got is the letter you wish you could send to your younger self. It's the voice of a kind, whip-smart friend who accepts your mistakes, messiness and chaotic energy because they've been there. Whilst challenging you to hold yourself with honesty and forgiveness, pressing your ear to your body and hearing that you exist. I adore Molly Naylor's work, so make sure you pre-order that. That is out on Bad Betty Press on the 28th of April. That is my roundup for this month. I am going to leave you with a track. This is Talking Heads with And She Was.
listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. My name is Matt Abbott and this is an exclusive interview with Irish poet Stephen James Smith, whose debut album See No Evil was released on the 1st of April by my label Nymphs and Thugs. Okay, so on the 1st of April you released your long-awaited debut album See No Evil and how are you feeling with the first week of release? Yeah, I'm positive. Um, it's it's nice to finally uh, get to share it with 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 the world or with the few people that follow me. <laughs> um, there's been three nice reviews, so uh, and and none bad as of yet. Uh, but then again, I I suppose you want to take uh, take everything with a pinch of salt so a good review it's nice but it's not going to make or break me nor nor will a negative one but no I'm, I'm pretty happy with how people have received it thankfully yeah absolutely from 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 what i'm looking it seems to be going down um, phenomenally well so you uh, you've got a, a growing following in ireland as well as here in the uk and i've seen you 
I've seen videos you've produced, I've seen your TV performances and live events. So at what point did an album manifest itself as like the next driving force for your career? Well, I've been really fortunate to collaborate with loads of musicians from all sorts of genres, and um, I've always enjoyed that. I enjoy kind of being being forced to to, to contemplate how I approach things by through the collaboration. And uh, I'm kind of a failed musician myself, in essence. Uh, like I, I, you know, I played a few songs and guitar and all that since I was 16. Uh, so it was always my wish to do an album. And then I got to become friendly with a fellow called Gareth Quinn Redmond, who's a musician and the producer of the album. Album. and we just really struck up a rapport and I felt that he got my poetry and he added the sort of emotional intensity that I was hoping uh, to, to heighten with, with, with the music that he produces so it was just having the opportunity to work with Gareth that really made me want to make sure that this happened uh, and I think Gareth is just going to take over the world he's a little genius and everybody he's working with loads of pretty big people here in Ireland at the moment uh, so I'm, I feel very blessed to get to work with him at this at the early stages of his, his own career, you know. Um, yeah, and I guess as well, like not to mention the old pandemic, but it did in some ways starved us of some opportunities, but in other ways maybe presented some time to to try and do other things and to get into the studio and to get people in the studio. Uh, not that it was easy, but it was slightly easier due to the restrictions, you know. Yeah, totally, totally. I feel like as poets. We, we were probably the most flexible, if that makes sense, in terms of a pandemic, you know, like being able to perform online, write wherever you want, create stuff. It's sort of, I guess, I wouldn't say fortunate, but poetry's it can go to a lot of different places, can't it? Um, yeah, as in, like, yeah, virtually, yeah. like, digitally, you can collaborate, you know, you can write an album with somebody without ever seeing them face-to-face. I know that's not what you did with Gareth, but, like, poetry is quite a... <laughs> maybe they would have prepared that (laughs) (laughs) well yeah but it's quite what I'm saying is it's quite durable and and I think in the pandemic it was maybe the least affected of the art forms if that makes sense yeah I I, I, like I suppose it's not my sole source of income as well like I, I do I mean I guess workshops are poetry related but you know there's I I do some voiceover work from time to time and different commissions so I have my fingers in loads of different pies that help me to 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 kind of sustain what I was doing but I definitely was starved of the human interaction um so I was and you know it was hard to to leave that behind yeah of course of course um do you (laughs) feel like your writing will change as a result of because I know that you said that when you're recording this album, you perform in a more um, relaxed way, if that makes like a, a slightly not you, you don't perform your poems on this album in the same way that you would on stage. So, do you think yeah. that experience will then affect the way that you write going forwards, or is it a matter of just picking up and putting down different hats? It's a good question. Um, in a in a weird way, Matt, I don't feel I have the same. Or I was going to say I don't have the same fire in me. I have a different fire in me now. Um, there was a time where standing on the stage and trying to project this energy uh, was was a nice challenge. I've sort of done that, uh, and now I want to just help people to lean into the poems a little bit more. And uh, and sometimes you can say a lot more with with more with a whisper. Um, so that's where I feel my poetry is going to, um, and yeah, working with the different people, they, I, I, I had to 
just them that they were bringing an energy that maybe I wasn't giving that like I kind of know I can give as a solo artist but there was no point to me trying to battle with them on an album because then it's not going to be complimentary so that was one of the reasons why I pulled back a little bit on the album and actually I may be a little bit more um settled in myself as well and that I don't feel the need to force the poems out uh, so there was a few different things that 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 just dictated it going this way I'm just getting older too you know it's a young man's game or a young person's game <laughs> so it is like I'm going to be turning 40 next week uh, and uh, I don't think anybody wants well I don't necessarily want to be the ranty old man so I don't uh, you know <laughs> so That's, well, this is, um, it's funny that you say that because of all the art forms like if you compare poetry to music like you would think that the older you get in poetry the better whereas obviously in music like once you're 25 year old um, yeah. But there is this weird thing at the moment with this whole renaissance and the, the spoken word scene for what I, I know that the, the term spoken word some people don't like, but there's this, there seems to be a strange gap. You're either 21 years old and you're winning all the slams or you're 65 <laughs> and you've you know produced 20 books. It's a bit weird, isn't it? It's that sort of... Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm in that crossover phase now myself. Like, uh, I don't <laughs> well, do no. slams anymore. Uh, I used to yeah. do them, but 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 I, I kind of did them not necessarily in the competitive style uh, or, or not really giving a shit about. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to. Oh, no, yeah, you can swear away. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't really care too much about the winning. Um, I, I am a competitive person, but it, like in some aspects, if I'm playing in FIFA, for example, <laughs> but like <laughs> um, just in terms of poetry, it seems a bit stupid that there's a competition within an art. And for me, I, I entered into those things just to really share my own poems and, and to hear other people's stuff you know um but i I don't i don't feel the need to engage with that really anymore maybe i'm fortunate that i feel i kind of get to share my poetry in in other spaces these days and and, and maybe that's why i started with the slam scene as it were in the earlier days yeah i get you i i I totally get you i think at the early stage of career it's even if you're not doing it to win it is a way to get yourself out there and I guess to be fair, it's sort of validation as well to an extent. Like, cause you, it's nerve wracking thing, right? Carving a career out as a poet and finding where your work belongs. Like, it's mm, it's part mm. of the process. You're sort of paying your dues, aren't you? Um, speaking of being on stage, so you're doing a tour. Um, do you want yeah. to tell us a little bit about the tour? Yeah, um, I am going on the road with three friends of mine, uh, so two musicians and one visual artist. Uh, so it's Gareth, who's a, the producer and musician, and another friend of mine, then who's a multi-instrumentalist, and Steve Simpson, who's, who's an artist and illustrator, and Steve will be drawing live art while I'm on stage. I, I, and again, I guess I'm kind of like trying to skulk in the background a little bit more so these days and not just being about me on stage. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I want to share the space with other people. Um, and then there will be local uh, artists, local poets at each gig. And actually, the way I'm thinking of arranging the night is that I go on, maybe say one or two poems as a solo uh, poet and then get the band on and, and probably have the poets that I'm inviting uh, to perform in the middle of uh, the gig and then I'll kind of wrap things up a little bit. I, I, I was lucky a few years ago to support a band called Scullion in the Sugar Club in Dublin and it was a brilliant gig and they were so sound. They had me do like a 30-minute set, but they started, they played for 45 minutes. I did 30 minutes and then they did about another hour and they paid me like a really good fee. And I thought, wow, that's kind of how to, to treat people. Yeah. Um 
So I, instead of having the pressure on somebody else to try and warm up the crowd, I was like, well, I just want to invite people that I like uh, to, to, and for, for people that might be interested in me to hear other people that I like. So that's one of the pleasures about going on the road is, is connecting with poets um, that I've, I've met before and others that I haven't, just that I've kind of met virtually, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a great family, isn't it? The poetry family around yeah. the UK and Ireland. It's great. Are yeah, you going definitely. anywhere that you've never been before? Uh, I am, well, I'm, I, I'm in Stroller Hall in Manchester. It's a venue I haven't been to before. And I also haven't been to the Hogan Point in Glasgow. I've been to Glasgow uh, in Turner Hall in, in Leeds. I did that before. Had such a great time. So it was in 2019 I toured uh, UK Ireland with Tony Welch. So Tony kind of did support for me in Ireland. Like he did a half an hour and then I did an hour. And then we, we, we reversed those roles across in the UK. And uh, it leads to the, the, the Turner Hall. The staff were so lovely. It's I think it's like a sort of a, a community vibe. Yeah. It's not some sort of big institution that's trying to make loads of money. It's just real uh, kind of grassroots stuff. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to going back there. And then the London Irish Centre I've done many a time. Uh, in terms of other venues in Dublin, or sorry, in Ireland, I've done them all that I'm going back to again. Yeah, yeah. So, cool, cool. Tour, yeah. Touring's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? I know we were talking earlier about how the pandemic was all right for poets, but touring, there's nothing else like it, is there really? No, I love it. You know, it definitely meeting. I, I'm sure I'll meet people that I've never met before on, the, on this tour, and hopefully people that have connected with the album in some capacity that uh, might be drawn to come and, and, and see see the gig live. And uh, those are moments that I really take for granted. Um, yeah. uh, at all, at all. Um, and you always hear these different... You know, people interpret your poems in, in different ways. Sometimes maybe in a way that you don't even intend. That's also yep. perfectly fine and valid once it's in the world. You know, they're entitled to use their own imagination and get what they want out of it too. So it, it'll be interesting to hear those stories. Absolutely. So this might sound like a bit of a weird question, right? But if somebody played this album to you five years ago, which track do you think would be <laughs> the most surprising? Oh, you I don't mean surprising me. in a bad way either. I just mean like, <laughs> you, you know, just like... I might listen to it in five years' time from now and have a whole other view of it. And, and that's probably natural as well because we all, I'm sure we cringe looking back at some of the things we've created in the past at the time we thought were amazing. Um, oh, which one would it be? Uh, well, the one that I am... Um, drawn to most at the moment is one called saintly sister that i wrote for my dad well not not actually no that's a lie i wrote in response to something my dad said to me uh, so it's not about him but uh, i maybe struggled to write things relating to my father right. um in the past or maybe it's even a, a, something i've avoided um yeah so to have written something that was in part inspired by a conversation i had with him is probably new territory for me and maybe something that i need to re- revise again and, and, and write more about that yeah sorry a little bit deep there but do you think that even having like the the music and being in the album environment maybe gave you the confidence to step into that and write about your dad where you hadn't done it where it's just the naked poem if that makes sense yeah um 
I think my my relationship with my dad has 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 changed a bit in the past five years, and maybe I feel a bit more comfortable to 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 again. It's not overtly about him, but yeah. um, it, it, you know, it, do, it does touch upon that conversation, and uh, where we we wouldn't have had that conversation five years ago. Yeah. So that's where we're at now, which is uh, not not a bad thing. In fact, he just posted me a. <laughs> Here we go. I don't know. This is all audio, probably. Uh, <laughs> he just posted me a birthday card with some pictures of me as a kid. That's me oh, on my twenty-first. Nice. That's me <laughs> as a younger kid. So, yeah. So yeah, like that. That was an unexpected surprise uh, to wow. get from him today when I landed home. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, well. Yeah. It's a beautiful album, and I'm really proud to be uh, playing a tiny role in in putting it out there in the world. Um, I don't diminish that, Matt. Like I've been aware of you and Instant Tugs for 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 a good long while, and I really like all the artists that you've uh, got on the label. And you've been a real. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your heart here. You've been a pleasure to work with. Uh, you really have been. You just seem to be dead sound, and uh, I'm very much appreciative of that because for me, like it's it's just it's a it's a privilege to get to share my art within other countries and, and yeah. territories or whatever and, and that is a massive pleasure to, as i say to make those connections around the place and and you're enabling that for me and for other people Um so you know it's well, not a small thing you're doing it's a, it's a big thing you're doing so thank you well i'm i'm honored that you came to me with it i mean this is the reason i wanted to set up the label really like much as a lot of the emphasis is put on you know writing a show or publishing a book i do think that every now and sometimes it needs to be an album and your album is testament to that so that's sort of why i wanted the label to exist i just wanted that space to exist for people to be able to do that if that makes sense so yeah yeah well um yeah thank you so much for chatting to me where uh, where do you want us to check you out where, where should we find you online for the listeners uh well my website is probably the most obvious place stephenjamesmith.com and i'm on most of the social media things i haven't quite gotten around to tiktok and things like that yeah i think i think there's an age restriction there but uh, i'm at sjs words as in stephen james smith words if you wish to find me online and hopefully i'll see some people at a show um and yeah check out the album if you, if you can if you could share it as well uh, not just for me but for all artists uh like a simple thing that the listeners can do out there is to, to find the artists they like and, and share their their youtube videos or their their albums or whatever it is because like you know we might put some p spend some money on pr it's a bit of a dark art sometimes it's hard to know what sort of actual results can come from that but you feel the need to do it what's much more powerful is 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 is, is people power and and, and 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 word of mouth so uh, if people that are listening could share what they like of me that'd be cool but but we'll also extend that to all the other artists that you like also perfect well thank you very much for chatting to us and we're going to play a track now thank you very much cool. thanks I've had lovers and I've had loves but when I love again I will love like Michael Fury Is it unrealistic to love like a fictional character that's been conjured up in the mind of Jimmy, a young traveller who serenaded his love in the dead of winter 
his lungs frozen with the snowy song of ache, unable to rest with the yearning to proclaim. I want to proclaim all my love with fury. I'm done with tepid encounters. Sparks and dying embers only warm the souls in passing. Flames can only extinguish lost feelings burning me up. Let's not insult each other with kind kisses. Let's tear out our hearts or nothing at all. That was the single I've Had Lovers, which was released from the album last month. And you can catch Stephen at the London Irish Centre on Wednesday the 18th of May. Tickets are £15 and you can find them at stephenjamesmith.com forward slash events. Call it instant chest when it's past the legal limit. Someone's 
You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. My name is Matt Abbott and I want to do a little mini feature this month on Selena Godden's Livewire album release. So this was released on my label Nymphs and Thugs and I just want to take you through the journey, how it started and how the impact that it had on the label since it was released. So it began in December 2015. I opened Philosophy Football's Scroogeonomics event at Rich Mix with a contemporary version of A Christmas Carol. And top of the bill that night was Selena Godden. So I'd heard of Selena, but I'd never properly experienced her work before. At this point, Nymphs and Fugs was in its infancy. I'd only launched it earlier that year. And the original intention was for it to be a record label that showcased Northern poets. But as Selena rifled through her set, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And even though it was a wild punt, I sent her a DM asked if I could email her and send her a proposition and it went from there. So in May 2016, we met at the Lock Tavern in Camden, soon moved on to the Holly Arms down the road. I was nervous as hell, to be perfectly honest, and I wasn't really sure what to expect, but we immediately bonded over pints and we chatted about poetry and some of our favourite people that were both new. We then started fizzing around ideas about what could potentially happen with the Nymphs and Fugs release. We actually ended up writing and signing a contract there and then in the rooftop beer garden, um, and I couldn't quite quite believe that I'd agreed to do this album with Selena Godden because the more I read, uh, the more I researched, the more I realised what a phenomenal poet and person and creator Selena Godden is. So in October 2016, the initial release of Livewire was on digital and then cardboard sleeve CD. So this was more in line with what Nims and Fugs had done to date. We'd, we'd produced stuff on these little cardboard sleeve CDs. I was actually on holiday on my own on the Balearic island of Formentera, which I realise is ridiculous in itself, um, when the first run of CDs were being delivered to Selena for National Poetry Day, so it was the 7th of October 2016, Selena was doing this massive event at Cheltenham Town Hall with Lem Cissé, and I had to phone the duplication company in Cheltenham and arrange for the receptionist to personally deliver the CDs to Selena that night. It was all a bit chaotic back then, but I just had to make Livewire happen. In November 2016, we travelled down to Selena's hometown of Hastings to record some poem, film, video type things with Idol Work Factory. Uh, This was a real display of professionalism in action. Her performances in those videos are simply breathtaking. It was really important to me that we produce these videos to the highest possible standard to try and do justice to the content on Livewire. I'm still extremely proud of those videos and I was thrilled that Leeds-based Idol Work Factory were able to travel down and be involved. They did a phenomenal job. So in March 2017, we launched the zine at the Betsy Trotwood on the 20th of March, which was in the run-up to the Ted Hughes Award ceremony at the end of the month. Livewire was shortlisted for Best New Work in Poetry, which was an outstanding achievement, and it also received five stars in the iPaper. In the end, it narrowly missed out to Nobody Told Me by Holly McNish in the awards, but it was already clear that Livewire was a tardy force as we prepared for the national tour. So in April 2017, five years ago, It was already clear that Livewire deserved bigger and better. I'd just done a nationwide advert and I'd received like a decent injection of cash. And rather than spunk it on designer gear or, you know, like a house deposit, like a sensible person, um, I decided to invest nearly all of it into my career, which included Nymphs and Thugs. So we produced a 2LP gateful vinyl version of Livewire alongside dual case CDs, T-shirts, tote bags, pin badges and zines. So that was five years ago this month, which is insane. 
And then in May 2017, the new special edition of the album, in all its various forms, was supported by a fully DIY tour. So it was called The Summer of Love Wire Tour, and it included dates in London, Leeds, Peterborough, Norwich, Derby, Manchester and Chelmsford. The album was officially released on the 12th of May, once the vinyl stock had arrived. And I actually didn't drive at the time, and I remember the suitcase with all the merch in. The wheel shattered when we got off the train at Peterborough, and I had to drag it along the platform uh, into a taxi and ended up shredding a few t-shirts in the process. So yeah, it was a bit chaotic back then. But we've learned and we've grown. Um, so since then, there's no doubt that working with Selena propelled Nimson folks to a level that I never could have dreamt of. Her ideas, her imagination, her drive and her infectious energy. The people that she introduced me to and the events that we produced together. Livewire really acted as a catalyst for everything that the label is five years later. Um, and the album itself still stands out as uh, a beautiful collection of poetry recordings from one of the very best on the scene. So check out Livewire. There's still copies of the CD and zine and vinyl available, as well as the digital version and streaming platforms. Um, I just wanted to celebrate it because it's five years on since Livewire ruled my world. Um, so that's Selena Godden's Livewire album on Nymphs and Thugs. And I'm going to leave you with this track from the album. This is called That's All We Had, Dad. Enjoy. Now that you had taken off your sunglasses, I could see my reflection in you. When you crouched down to say goodbye, I recognised those eyes. For a second as you held me, I recognised something in the feel of you, the shape and the smell of you, your hair, your neck, your skin. Something I thought I had lost was now close to me and so familiar. I don't remember what promises you made as you stood up. I don't remember your exact words of comfort as you said your goodbyes. I started crying again, and you told us to be good. Gus cried too, and you hugged him. And you probably promised you'd be back another day. Wait and see, wait and see, and soon. We cried as we heard you turn the key in the ignition and back up out of the drive. We cried and watched you drive slowly away. I searched everywhere in the universe and in everything you touched in my world for your scent, for flakes of your skin, for the strands of hair of each minute of that one afternoon, every tiny triviality like water retaining memory seeping through each crevice of those few hours we spent together. That afternoon became a shrine, a cave. I stroked the walls of those few hours with all five senses, second by second. I took a stick and scratched our names there, and every minute detail I daubed and highlighted with paints. I felt the coolness and the heat of those walls against my cheeks. I can still smell that day. When I think of it, I inhale some form of dust. It sticks in the back of my throat. I can still summon the sensation of waiting for you, Dad, of having you and losing you. Those few hours are an animal carcass. I devoured all of its tender flesh. I boiled the bones to make glue soup to keep us together and I slept in the hide of the beast so I may dream of you. And all we had was that one day when you appeared from nowhere and then you went away. 
for those moments I looked into your eyes, I saw something I now understand was regret or guilt. I also believe I saw love. And that's all we ever had, Dad. Thank you. train stop open cases all the shorty braces pick you up on warren squad now they running faces pick you up by the park we was voking by the pier paris burning full of queens hit the village every year rolling out to the rave village boys six page i was diving off the stage going now every day thick wall in the summer you know it's summertime shamari and soul food singing do up every night subway trains going by squatters sitting st marks shooting up in tonka's park no it's dirty after dark tunnels taking turns playing tag on the curb touching on some cities taking change out your purse undercover agents i could spot a mile away yo i hate the fucking cops and ypd get away underground on mta close my eyes and ride the train back and forth and every day anywhere anyway Xerox copy zines, stapled onto posing trees. Got a show, come and see. New York is the place to be. Where you go and live your dreams. Living in the city, you can't be a xenophobe. This the melted pot and the soup is never cold. Young lords, young lords, they live inside of me. I got a problem B with white supremacy. Rolling through my zip code, 10029. ABCs of New York, and I'll be doing fine.
lucky to be joined by Amal Khalaf, civic curator at the Serpentine and co-curator of Radio Ballads, their current exhibition, and one of the artists who participated in the show, Rory Pilgrim. Um, this show also features Helen Kamak, Sonia Boyce and Ilona Sagar and deals with issues of care, community 
and solidarity. It provides an insight into a section of the art world which we rarely see. This was pre-recorded for your pleasure. Okay, welcome to the show, Rory Pilgrim and Amal Keller. Um, Amal, I just, because of the nature of radio ballads and the fact that it's such a, there's so much depth there as a show and there's so much history there. Um, it's been a long uh, practice for you. It's been a few years in the making. So I wondered if you mm. could tell a little bit, tell the audience a little bit about the ideas behind your practice as a curator. Like, where does that come from? What's it grounded in? Thank you, Emma Rose. It's really amazing to get to chat to you again. Um, I've really enjoyed chatting with you, actually, at different points of this project. So it's it's really special to get to do this now on the show. Um, but yeah, so uh, the work I'm I've been doing. So I'm I'm working with an amazing team of um, other kind of curators that might be thinking about ways of working with artists and people in, in, um, in different ways, in more long-term ways, in ways that don't often end up um, being shared by a wider public. And um, so this exhibition really comes from this kind of work. And for the last decade or so, I've been doing various projects that think about, um, I guess in a really broad way, like how we are able to listen with each other to the city, um, how we're able to work with artists and, and different artistic practices, as well as with people, with organizers, um, people trying to make change or um, in various struggles that they're dealing with in the city. Um, and thinking about the, the different ways we can create spaces through um, um, collaborative practices that that really center the ideas of deep listening um thinking about um different ideas around transformation and change whether that's like a really embodied micro-political transformation or it's um thinking about big kind of changes like making changes in your neighborhood directly so um i've been working with artists and unions often a lot a lot of the time I've been thinking about um the major issues that um I'm encountering in the city in London and so over the last 10 years we've been thinking about how do we um how do we you know hold space to think differently like from our bodies together around issues of migrant justice, housing rights, um, and all of this also in the background of over a decade of austerity. And yeah. so a lot of the projects have really been thinking about the really, um, what it means to really be together and try and support each other um, when the state is doing everything it can to pull the rug from out of under us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess like the other thing to say is a lot of this work is um, a lot of the influences I'm thinking about if if we're talking about a curatorial practice. And I think this is shared by my colleagues, Lizzie Graham and Leila Gatons, is really thinking towards genealogies of um, radical pedagogy and uh, looking at, you know, histories of popular education 
as um, the blueprints or thinking about how we can gather people together um, and, and thinking about pe- thinkers like Paulo Freire or Bell Hooks. Um, I'm a theater of the oppressed practitioner, so I'm really thinking about how, how we use our bodies together, use our voices together and um, yeah, do something different in these spaces. And um, how did that come, how did that evolve into what we now see as radio ballads? So um, I mentioned the Theatre of the Oppressed uh, facilitator work that I do. And that comes from uh, working with an amazing uh, theatre director called Francis Rifkin. So Fran, um, Fran was part of setting up Implicated Theatre. So that was a political theatre project that um, began on the Edgeware Road as, as one of the projects um, that we did at the Centre for Possible Studies, which is a space that um, was the first space I started to work with at the Serpentine. It's a kind of off-site space where we're thinking about having artists in residence, but also people from the neighbourhood in residence, like creating projects together about the neighbourhood. Um, and so one of these projects was a political theatre project. And through that, it was focused completely on migrant justice. And it was made up of people with experiences of migration or various uh, interactions uh, with the Home Office um, and telling stories about that um, with others, with other groups of people that are organizing around migrant justice. So Fran actually um, was, uh, you know, she really was from a time where political work and political um, art was funded by the Arts Council <laughs> and the GLA. And so she has this really amazing history, um, which I really relate to, which is thinking about the, the role of art as being part of creating change and being part of supporting people who are doing change to, um, yeah, to kind of, organize um, and using these forms in that way. And she worked with Charles Parker, um, who was the the original producer of the original radio ballads, the originator of the original radio ballads. He was a BBC producer and he was eventually fired from the BBC after making those radio ballads. And he set up Banner Theatre, which Fran actually went on to direct So she had a really direct relationship to radio ballads and the original radio ballads. And because we were doing so much work that was collaborative with unions, and she's really from that time where, you know, she was funded to work with trade unions. She spent like a year working with striking steel workers, doing theater of the oppressed and art projects. And she was sharing with us these incredible histories and, um, One of these histories was this form of the radio ballad, which she was really interested in thinking about in a theatrical context. And that's what Banner Theatre in Birmingham still do. And um, the the idea of this space is a space where you have union organizers, musicians, um, other cultural workers working together to kind of tell stories in a different way than how the top-down kind of like mainstream media are telling the stories. Um, So radio ballads, like when I started to be introduced to them, um, I was really struck by how this was really doing everything that I was really interested in doing in an art context, which is thinking about 
why is it that stories or, you know, issues um, that matter the most to a certain groups of people, why are those stories not being told by those people? Why are these kind of research projects or, um, you know, films or huge art projects, why are they like centering other people's voices? Why are people speaking on behalf of others? And here's this form of the radio ballad that began in 1957 and it was uh, producers, uh, radio producers working with folk singers, you and McCall and Peggy Seeger and lots and lots of different communities. Um, and like creating song together, telling stories verbatim in ways that hadn't been told before. I just thought this was an amazing model. And actually this is another genealogy for this kind of collaborative work. Um, and so Radio Ballads really comes from thinking about what would happen if we did this kind of work today and what would happen if we actually connected with artists that already have amazing collaborative practices um, who make work with people and who also have a really complex and amazing relationship to using voice and sound and listening and song in their work as well. So we got to work with amazing artists like Rory, who are already doing um, doing this kind of work in a different way and thinking about what would happen if we invited them and connected with, uh, you know, different organizations and communities. In our case, we were really lucky to be part of a project called Newtown Culture in Barking and Dagenham, which was looking at how social care and artists can work together and learn from each other. Um, and yeah, and so Radio Ballads was born from that. What's the, the thing that is so remarkable about these work and about that practice is that what it gives you is it gives you the news it gives you the message it gives you the facts in a way but with that it communicates the experience which is something very unique and powerful um as you say I me mean, they were quite radical at the time what well, I mean the man got fired for making them but their legacy lives on and their potent and that kind of that real desire to tap into somebody else's experience is something that was very forward thinking and that is something that I think people really relate to today and so I feel like I'd be remiss not asking you about how we've gone through this massive change as a society which has made us look at ourselves and made us look at brought other people's experiences to the fore um what was it like to create a show like this um through that through the kind of the pandemic and all the changes we're experiencing at the moment well I mean I just I just really want to have uh, give a shout out to um my colleagues Lizzie and Leila but also all the artists and all of the groups and and individuals that that kind of came you know, that we were gathering throughout the period of the pandemic. I think for us, with Rory, I mean, we're going to hear from Rory in a bit, but um, Rory actually did work before the pandemic in real life, which is really special. But there were lots of people we, we did work with that we hadn't met in real life before we started working with them. There are many that we did because we, we started the project back in 2019. Um, but, uh, I think there's something about the way that the artists were working, the way that we were 
you know, um, we were guests, you know, we were, we weren't always in Barking and Dagenham. We were at that point, everybody was kind of maybe at home. We were trying to find ways to connect, but the kind of, you know, the types of workshops we were doing, the things we were really focusing on throughout all of the projects are really embodied experiences. It was already about thinking beyond, you know, paperwork and bureaucracy and politics of the big P. We were always thinking about um, emotions and creating space so that people could have, uh, you know, where emotions were allowed, where imagination was part of what we were doing, where dreaming was part of what we were doing and being together, whether it was creating spaces online or planning for being together in real life. Um, I think that that kind of energy that was happening in the workshops and the fact that everybody may be a little bit more um, introspective or thinking about things in a wider way and questioning the world in, in a different way, it, it created a very special um, experience for us. I've been doing kind of process-based workshop type processes with artists and groups of people for so long. But um, yeah. I think there was something about this experience which really changed me um, on an individual <laughs> level. And I think for many of us that were involved, we all had very powerful experiences of being connected to each other, kind of holding something together um, Definitely like the workshops that we did for rafts, for example, I always describe as really was like such a big raft for, for me. And I know for so many of the people that were part of it and just the way that we were able, I'm just like, so I have so much gratitude for everybody who showed up and for all of the artists that were holding space, because I think that rhythm and creating spaces to be together, listen to each other and be open to talking about emotions was, was really powerful. And I think that's why what, what people encounter in the exhibition now is something that is very emotive and very powerful. And, and it's, it's really felt, yes. you know, beyond, beyond whatever's being said, whatever's being seen. I think a lot of people are feeling something in this show. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. And I feel that, the emotions you feel when you're experiencing the works are they're very real it's very fundamental but it's also there is something incredibly cathartic about it as well I personally feel that that's it's so it's really amazing hearing how people encounter the work because I think for us we were like really involved in all of the projects and all of the ways of it being shared and we we obviously didn't share everything that happened, you know, this is over two years, three years of gathering and sharing. And there were so many different moments throughout. And I think, you know, this, you know, people have described this exhibition as a, as a project that's looking at care and who cares for who and, and being connected. But I think you really feel that there aren't any binaries here between carers and care, like everybody feels like they're, supporting each other in the in the works and I think that was a real experience that we had you know throughout the making of of these projects I think you can really feel it 
And I just wanted to kind of, I wanted to ask you, Rory, about, because I feel people listening um, will have some idea of, of group work and of workshops, but maybe won't fully understand that practice. And I wondered if you could shed some light on that in terms of your own work. Yeah, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for having me. Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, workshop facilitation is something which I had to learn in a way. Like, um, I had that, I have, I have a background kind of very much, I, I was sort of, my, my father's an Anglican church minister. So I grew up in this sort of environment, which was, um, a sort of semi-public space with people with groups always coming not only only to we always lived kind of in the church these church complexes but people also coming to the house to do group work essentially so I sort of grew up with it but when I started doing it myself I I really felt like um I was in the dark like a lot of I think when you first start out you you kind of think well what do I do so Initially, the first thing which I always found myself doing was asking questions, like asking questions to people about what they're um, experiencing, the kind of responsibility of how you ask a question, um, but a, a question which can be interpreted in so many ways. So I think a lot of my workshop practice or um, working with people still fundamentally revolves around questions. And if you're asking questions, you also inevitably end up listening. <laughs> um, so it's really this, 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 yeah, this space of listening. Um, and I think through these uh, workshops in particular, so after developing like a workshop practice for the last 10 years and then going into um, an online space, uh, in the last four years, I've been working actually much more choreographic practices and embodied forms of, um, of, of, of listening, I would suppose, or working. So uh, when we were thrown into the Zoom space, um, we were, first of all, it was that question of well, who who has a, who who can join? Who has access to technology? Is there, does everyone have a space a safe space to call in from? And just that fact that so many people who were coming to our workshops, it was anyway a space for them to leave their homes to have a sort of two hours outside of the house. So it was quite confronting about how to approach it. And I think we really quickly learned what was manageable and what was not manageable. Um, but the perfect time seemed to be an hour and a quarter with that quarter embodying also like a, a 10 minute break. And I think by our second workshop, Amal had a really great suggestion of bringing in physical cues. So what was fundamental was also to bring in kind of physical gestures to show that we were listening or that someone who was speaking online could tell that others were listening back instead of or so we just get developed these really simple cues like um like a finger snaps to show that you're kind of vibing what they're saying a little uh hug hugging oneself or a heart to show that you're emotionally moved or want to give or feel not that you're just listening but you're really actually very much emotionally feeling what that person is saying and then just a hand gesture to show you want to speak or that you you can't quite hear so these these things were crucial to be able to to 
to start a, a workshop practice online. Yeah, it's amazing. And the, your work, Raft, is very emotional. I have to say, when I went to the preview, there were some people kind of shedding a bit of a tear. It's a very emotive and beautiful work. I It's, 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 it's very lovely. But um, I wanted to kind of emphasize the fact that you're not that you work in visual arts but you also are a musician and the work you the music you make is very um it's very complex and layered and so I wanted to play a piece of music now and I wondered if you could introduce that for me um which which music in particular are you thinking of playing Whichever one of the songs that you sent me that you would like to play, it's oh. up to you. What, what do you think were best? Um... Yeah, I mean, we could. I mean, yeah, the music. I so I'm yeah I'm I, I I'm a musician um, yes. as well. Uh, so uh, music music is one of those kind of also ongoing things which I'm I'm always doing and um, and I'm kind of constantly I suppose it's also evolved very much also as a songwriting practice so constantly working on songs I have a collection of songs always on the go and and then I have people that I've been there's one particular collaborator Robin Haddon who I've been working with for the last six years who is one of the main singers in rafts and um often with these songs which I'm sometimes we start from songs from scratch together or I come to Robin or the uh the, the singers that I work with so in rafts is also an Idaho singer Declan and then um Kate and Fearon from Barking and Dagenham who also sings a track and I try and bring a song which they can make as make their own as much as possible and once I've worked on it with the singer then I can go back and work on the orchestration um so this 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 is uh this music is is yeah it's work I worked with the London Contemporary Orchestra and also with a choir and in some manner the the the, the main task with actually this soundtrack was to try and get a, a um a, a vibe which felt right and in the end it did it did make sense to go and go for a very emotional um response and I wouldn't say that it's sort of Disney-esque but to go uh, to go with that feeling of something which was also very bright um and because it because there were many many challenging things going on but how to remain that sort of hopefulness or um that that love in a way which was very much felt just through the workshops there were times which were very difficult but also times in which fundamentally there was a kind of overwhelming sense of um of um yeah, of ho- of holding 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 emotions for one another. So yeah, maybe I mean there's many tracks we could choose from, but maybe it makes sense to play a bit from off from the beginning track, which is called Tomorrow's Gentle Rain. Truly be 
But if we wait, if we wait, will there still be a home? For there is not enough in a phone or in a thought to figure out, figure out, stay around, stay. So rain, tomorrow's gentle rain. Be kind, please be kind to all I know. To fall, fall asleep and grow. If you can fall, can fall asleep to all I know. And call out to all I know and roar for it's now, for it's now to figure out what we need to stay around so we can dream and dream aloud, dream Separate in the trees for it's time to figure out.
Okay, and that was that was beautiful. Thank you, Rory, for sharing that with us. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about the form of rafts. And so we've got, it's a film work and it's an installation. And what we see in the film is the performance of the music, the composition. And also we see a kind of wonderful, a dance basically. And you were collaborating with um, Barking and Dagenham Youth Dance on this. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that experience and how it and how it weaves into the work. Yeah, so originally when we first started the conversation, we didn't really know what form um, Radio Ballads would, would end up with. And we were thinking actually much more that it would be a series of live performance broadcast works. And, and I think because of that, I never quite lost that feeling of what it means to create a broadcast. And I was thinking about... Uh, and and we weren't even necessarily thinking about radio, but sort of television. And I, I, I wanted to create something which really kind of sort of tested the parameters of what television could feel like. Um, so at the begin, so in in many ways, what's holding it is this sort of like concert, which could feel like the proms or something, but that oscillates between this sense of a lifetime, but also you're that you're suddenly kind of cross certain portals into someone's home or their local environment, or even sort of a kind of hype, hyper rea reality or an imaginary space. So much because we were working with. Um, artists people who come to, to 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 work through something in their life through a an arts charity um, a lot of the film is actually very much about art and as a space to vision and imagine um as a support system and so there are two moments where it's sort of or several moments where it flips more also into a music video realm um where you kind of feel like you're more in a hyper imaginary or reality. So there are, I worked with um, a fantastic organisation called Barking and Dagenham Youth Dance, who just have, which is for most incredible young people. And, and just through talk, you can hear in the audio guide, actually, there's some really beautiful segments of the young people speaking, which isn't the same in the film, but in that guide about just what that having a space to, to move, to dance, to come together means to them. And um, yeah, we worked over quite a very quick period of um, two days um, to kind of devise a choreography, working with their choreographer, Red Fox, um, kind of which put into practice some of these things which were going on in the lyrics with, of the two songs that they're involved in. And so there's, we kind of created sort of these little technological group chats, thinking about um, what it is to connect or feel disconnected, um, about 
kind of what you do when things feel too fast in your life. So there's moments of the young people on this running track chasing a car. Yeah. Um, and then and, and then at the end, they kind of there's these moments of creating kind of solo works where you're where the young people feel like they're on their own, but then they suddenly join part more of a group and then kind of go in and out of that so what does it mean to feel have give space to yourself being a group feel supported need time out yes. um so all of these things which ended up being in the video and it looks wonderful and they just kind of I love their the kind of costume and everything it all plays into this as you say slightly surreal hyper real kind of visual combined with this very emotive kind of music great I, was, I give a shout out to um, Asai. We were very lucky to work with a designer, um, London-based designer called Asai, who provides the beautiful garments yeah. for the for BDYD. Yeah, so lovely. But I wanted to. Oh yeah, and just to say that wasn't they weren't they the garments that came um, straight from a Rihanna tour? <laughs> yeah, Rihanna. Rihanna has has been wearing them, and actually after our um, <laughs> our shoot. We had we had to quit them really quickly. Uh, dry clean for Janet Jackson. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that is something else. <laughs> yeah. Charged garments. No, we were very very lucky. Asai 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 is an incredible designer and is working on multiple projects and. Um, yeah, and part of also made, like a very important voice within the fashion industry. The thing that strikes me again with you talking about that is this collaborative element, is this sense of um, an artist almost being a conduit for a collective experience and then creating this work. Um, you can correct me if you don't agree with that interpretation, but it is a different kind of practice but I think one that chimes very much with the era that we're living in. And I wondered what you thought about that. Do you agree or do you think that I'm just making things up? Yeah, it's, well, I think for myself, it's kind of like this balancing act um, because I, well, I suppose the reason maybe why I do this work uh, also originates like just from my history of like having a, a parent who uh provided a community space so like this question of community and support has has some and it's always been part of my life I've also been very close to people um, with terminal illness um and 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 I think when I started as an artist I like I that was just so much part of my personal identity like experience it it was it made total sense also to kind of feel a real kinship with like social engaged practices from the 60s 70s from coming from feminist and civil rights discourse and I think for me it was always this question about like how how do I kind of give space to what like makes me creative as a person but also like that how how but I, that desire, in a way, that wanting to be able to like sh to create a platform. I don't know what, but it's, it's always hard to know what what the right language is. But just to 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 literally learn from others, listen to others. Um, I mean, there's only my experience only extends so far, and so like as soon as you 
are able to learn from another person and and kind of bridge what you also can bring with another you just it's like building a garden or, or something or or, can, or nurturing a garden that like it's never one element and I, I kind of maybe do think of what I do is a bit like um like a garden which I'm able to grow, give space to grow a lot of different things but that's only done through working and collaborating with others and also giving a lot of space to others so that like in rafts for example that um but to really let the like the poetry the voices the, the amazing things which I was of the people that I'm lucky to work with to sort of also just speak in that with a degree of autonomy um if that makes sense so I, th- I I know in terms of thinking about the site like where we are in the world I I think it's this big question for me is always how it's not so much about like creating a group but how can an individual feel comfortable and be themselves to speak within a collective space where they are held but are not can still be a hundred percent themselves and a hundred percent be listened to. Um, that's an yeah. incredible skill, though, and I can see that it's obviously something that takes time to learn and to to. I, I imagine, like you can't. You clearly have that skill, but I imagine it's not something you can just immediately go and do. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work. Yeah, I think I like for example with this, uh, with this with, the, with our core group that we work with in rafts. A lot of a lot of those maybe people, myself included, do not have good experience of being in groups. Um, uh, or there is a level of anxiety um, about like just just sort of social situations, and I think maybe my approach to workshops is really acknowledging that. And trying to find a way in which every individual can be part of that in a way which works for them. And that that can be complex and it can require a bit of time uh, to kind of work out also where everyone's at and how each person also feels comfortable. But I suppose it's something which I've just tried to do these since I've been working yeah well that's wonderful and I kind of feel like that kind of that sense of self giving people the um permission to have that sense of self is something that's very empowering and uh, I think it's a lovely thing to do and you can see in the work it comes across I feel like we're coming to the end of our conversation now and I want to thank both of you for joining me joining us on Roaring Twenties Radio to talk about this and um yeah um thank you and uh, i wish you luck with the rest of the exhibition it's getting five stars all over the place which is exciting (laughs) yeah thank you so much it's it's really great to connect and i love all the time hearing you speak rory about the incredible work that you do and i really do feel like there is a there is a sense sometimes with art that people imagine that it's like a solo auteur type of thing, but we're living in the world and there's so much changing in the world right now. And I, I hope that there are more projects like these that that think about what happens when we make things together and share it. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much.
Bye. Yes, thank you so much, Jamal, and Lizzie and Layla as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wonder, oh yeah, all the people that we worked with. Um, yeah, just go, 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 go check them. Go, go watch, go just listen to their beautiful words, poetry. We've got a gorgeous animation. And, that, and then, yeah, all the other work within the radio balance.
That was Beach There, um, part of Rory Pilgrim's Rafts. Thank you so much, Rory, for allowing us to use the music from your artwork in today's show. It's very special. Um, you can see Radio Ballads at Serpentine North um, until May 29th this year. I recommend that you go and spend some time in that space. It's a wonderful exhibition. Thank you for listening. Uh, this has been a really rewarding show to make. We'll be back in a more normal capacity next month, uh, hopefully in the studio. And um, we look forward to you joining us then. You can find Roaring Twenties online on Instagram, Roaring Twenties 20S, the same handle on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook. This month we've had music from The Beatles, Air, Talking Heads, Warm Dusha, Elvis Costello, Princess Nokia and Pill. And we're going to leave you with uh, the wonderful Gweno, her new track. See you next time.
Si quieres 